Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. This will not be a fun episode. In fact, this is an episode which was basically created by sitting in a basement in a house while I was shot at by Grad rockets. Long story short, I was in Mariupol. I took a bus north from there on the first day to the front lines. I had spent about 200 euros in bribes up until that day. Spent more to actually get in and out of Donetsk, which is going to be like, you know, in the next episode. And I had spoken to the Ministry of Defense representatives of Ukraine. All of this spent money. I uh, kind of do hope that you'll regain this stuff by your delightful PayPal donations, by the way. So please do support the show. But yeah, I went down uh, from one of the villages recently acquired by the Ukrainian army from the DNR. And although they have a formal truce and everything, there are blasts and violence happening daily. I was unhappy enough to get into one of such uh, such positions of kind of danger. I, I literally shot my own pants out of fear. Not even ashamed of this because uh, because you would too. When a rocket explodes nearby you just because someone on the other side just has to shoot you for publicity, well, thank God they weren't particularly interested into aiming. But yeah, I met Igor and Alexander. And I'll try to relate to you their stories in the next episode will be about me in Donetsk. But this one, this is gonna be about Mariupol and the surrounding villages. It's hard to make too. This felt like the damn feelings like Dan Carlin described in his World War I Armageddon series and it's not even funny. The trick is that I took a bus there and I went to these front lines and, and then I was there and about to take an interview and then, just somewhere, you can just see some explosions and you hear these sounds of uh, screeching rockets. And then just someone pulls you down and says, hey, let's go to the basement. Other people in the squad, they went down in their bunkers and they, they reinforced positions. I went into the basement. And there I sat for about two hours. I sat there and I spoke with people invested in this war. I spoke with people deeply touched by this war. It wasn't a fun experience, but I have to start with something else besides Mariupol, because we are all Ivan Golunov at this point. If you hadn't heard, there was a journalist from Medusa, the guys who are my friends and whose articles I use often in the show, and their journalist got arrested in Moscow, which is a fate that certainly awaits me as well if I ever go there. Ivan Golunov was an investigative journalist. He wrote about the corruption in Moscow City Council, he wrote about the funeral business, he wrote about all sorts of bad, corrupt things happening in Russia. And he got arrested on the 6th of June. 
and on the trumped up charges for spreading drugs, which was interesting because they arrested him, they beat him up, and then they uh, posted pictures uh, seemingly from his apartment about how he was spreading these drugs and having this drug lab, even though the cop that arrested him, who was responsible for his arrest himself, had been brought up on charges on spreading drugs, but nothing came out of it because he was a militianer in Russia. And uh, they even admitted that eight out of the nine pictures that they took from Golonov's rented apartment were not from his apartment, they were just random pictures. Because why not? Why wouldn't you just put up some journalist up with Trump charges up in Russia? And uh, at the same time, Putin gave a speech in the International Economical Forum in St. Petersburg, where he basically stated that Russia is in opposition of the United States of America, that they want to break the world which is controlled by the USA, that they now declare the USA to be their number one enemy, and they'll do everything in their power with China to stop this world hegemony. Meanwhile, inviting foreign investments and people like Golunov and uh, like uh, other people who just run their businesses being jailed there. World's getting more serious, world's getting scary in a way. And I just happen to be in probably one of the scariest places the world has to offer. This is about the front lines in Mariupol. Next episode's gonna be about Donetsk, but yeah, Ivan Golunov, who was arrested because of all the public outrage, has now been freed, and the criminal charges have been dropped from him. But when you're a journalist in Russia, then someone just can, like, throw drugs at you, and they can just abuse you and beat you up, and nothing will come of it, because there will be no investigation of the cops who themselves are documented to spread heroin among the population. Literally. There was another investigation for the very same cops that now arrested Golunov, and nothing came of it. We live in dangerous times, comrades. This is not a nice world to be in, but we have to deal with what we have to, and they arrest journalists there, and they have declared the United States to be their official enemy. And, well, what they do in other parts of the world how they treat basic human beings and what the studies of those humans are, that's going to be on this show. It's going to be on a much different tone than, uh, than the previous one. So sit back and enjoy if you can, but I just consider that this episode needs to exist so that I could bring you the information about the people that I've seen, that I've spoken to, that I've spent two hours sitting in a basement in a village north of Mariupol being shot at by artillery and rockets. Those people are braver than I am. We shared tea with them. They poured some cognac in my tea, which was nice too. Wasn't really interested in drinking at that point, though, but... But you have to do what you have to do. It's a dangerous job, you know. And, uh, yeah, if you can, please do support the show. But, for now, I want to tell you about Igor and Alexander. Those men are braver than me, they're better than me, and sadly, they're much less lucky than I am. So, about the basement and everything, um, yeah, what happened was that I went there and I was, it was on a field trip, so to speak. I went out to the frontier lines while having bribed my way to the Ministry of Defense to get up to the more frontier lines that I could. Then I went to the small village there, and as I was speaking there with the local sergeant, and then at some point you just see rockets blowing up somewhere nearby. And then some people just told me, hey, dude, everyone's going into the trenches. Will you come with us? And I was like, well, sure, guys. So I did. I did go into a basement of a building where I, an army sergeant, Alexander, and the, the owner of the house, Igor, just went there and sat there for two hours. I want to talk first about Igor, because he's used to this crap. Igor is 19. 
Igor is a dude who works for a steel mill in Mariupol because he couldn't finish high school because of the war. He was um, alone and scared because his family has had education from the West. They've studied in Poland, which is not that far away, kind of next to Ukraine, still far away for Ukrainian standards. Still, he dropped out of high school and was thrown out of his home village. And now he works in Mariupol steel industry for the very same reason as many people do there, because they have jobs. And they pay him about 12,000 grivnas per month, which is about $400, and he feeds his own family. And he thinks about how he will probably get better in the future, and he wants to go back to high school one day and finish it too. He's kind of complaining right now about the security devices, about the fact that he has to wear a helmet at all times, by the fact that he gets penalized for not wearing a helmet. Hey, my buddy Leon, by the way, uh, will understand that from Vancouver. Hi, Leon, hope you're listening to this. He's stunned from the security regulations, and he's an ethnic Russian, and uh, he's just worried that his family was thrown out because of the war, because their home was pulverized by the very same Grad rockets that shot at me. They were thrown out of their own home, they were forced to leave because they didn't want to go the way of the separatists, they didn't want to go into Donbass, they didn't want to become a part of this war. They were just civilians. Thankfully, Ukrainian government, with the help of the United States, just opened up more workspaces, and now he has this house, of which Ukrainian army is a part of, and he has an apartment in Mariupol, where he sits daily where his family is, because those used to be communal apartments, but he managed to arrange so that his family his father and mom and two little sisters, because he has two younger sisters, one of which is nine, other one is twelve, come and live with him. And he works for them in the steel mill. And it's a tragic study because I had never seen someone sitting in a basement while being under attack talk to me about how he dreams of finishing high school. And like I said in the last episode, you know, when someone tells you that you're from the rich west, Paul being here in the Baltics, right? When someone tells you they're from the rich Western countries with a lot of money, what do we complain about? Never thought it would be real, but if you think about it even for a second in their position, then you understand that uh, these are the people from whom war took everything. They had their own home, they had their own, own farm hold. They basically sold their own produce to the market, made a living that way. They sent their only son to have a good education. They had saved up enough money sent him to college, but that's all gone now. Because some nice men from Donbass came and took the money away from him. They just came and raided the house. They had a lockbox, a strongbox there. And the strongbox was raided because someone just wanted to get drunk. Wanted to get drunk for this money. So, his college money is all spent, but these $400, 12,000 gravenes, is enough for Igor to pay for his family he gets his apartment from the government, which the United States also support him. At the same time, he wants to finish high school, he wants to go to college. He wants to become the chief agronomist, and that sounds just like a stupid fucking dream, like coming out from a Soviet movie, but you truly see someone who wants to dedicate his life to the farmlands. He wants to grow cows and, you know, settle the land that is left over. And his own building is just somewhere out there damaged by the artillery shells and by the blasts. Someone who once truly exploited the fact that Ukraine has probably one of the most fertile lands on the planet Earth. And I sat down there with Igor, I drank tea with him, 
and it was stunning. I had never seen someone be so happy about their position in life, even though to us, well, Europeans and probably to most Americans and Canadians and Australians and you know, everyone else too, to us it would seem like, you know, something, something weird. He's so happy to be making these for $100, which is a lot of money for him. I cannot explain this. He's just happy that his mom doesn't have to starve. And he's sitting there with me, and I have like literally shut my pants earlier, removed them and throw them out. But he's there and saying, oh no, this is like Tuesday, this is casual. I mean, no one has died and this house is like, they're not aiming for it. He's just sitting there. He's just approaching it in a non, like, nonchalant manner. For him, this means nothing. For him, what matters more is that he actually got one of those government-supported jobs, those sponsored jobs. For him, what matters is that he can like feed his mom and his family. He's 19, has to finish 12th grade too. But when he moved to Mariupol, he didn't want to be alone. So what he did was he went on Tinder and found himself a girlfriend. His girlfriend's apparently 17 years old and she's called Ira. This is an interesting story as well, because he said that Kiev girls and Mariupol girls and the city girls, as he called them, are afraid of him. They are afraid of people who've been through the war. They are just afraid that he might just always get drunk and become violent. He's not violent, however. He just says that even in Ukraine, there are stereotypes within about who is worthy enough and who isn't, about the fact that he would like at least something good happen to him, some stability. He can't have that because his house has been blown up in the war with rockets. And like I said in my Facebook posts, this man was much braver than I was because he's been used to this. He used to the fact that, as he told me, well, on the other side, if they don't shoot someone every day, if they just don't shoot the crowd missiles and the artillery, then they can't, you know, produce any good stories in uh, the press. Then they're stuck in their own little world where everything's kind of shitty. And the median salary in DNR is about $77 per month. Which is crazy. People live on that. It's soul and grievous in the rubles, but... People pay their own bills in bizarre ways. Spent a lot on bribes, like I told you before, but they also spent some in the hotel. And in Mariupol, which is like an hour's ride in a bus away from the war zone, yeah, 42 euros for a hotel number. 42 euros for a hotel number with a makeshift knight's armor with a massive bed. Really fancy one. One of those that you probably get for 200 300 per night. Got that for 42 euros, which is like $50 for three nights. It's a bit crazy. Makes you think about it. Those people are trying. It's hard. However, Igor told me that the one thing he wishes the most is that when he heard I was from Riga, his dream in his life is ever to visit us. He said he wants to see the West. He wants to see the European Union. He wants to be there. And it's kind of scary when, you know, how we live here and how we function, what we do here. And when someone says that his dream is to visit the town that you've been born in, just so they could he see the West. And I'm on the eastern border, guys. I am on the eastern border and we have our own issues. And then someone, someone just declares that, holy shit, I wish I was from Riga. I wish I was there, where they wouldn't shoot me every day. That's scary. That makes you think a lot and it makes you feel in a certain way. And that way is that I'm truly happy that finally there is no war in our parts of the planet. He ran this house, he just went back home, basically, so that he would, like, check up on his parents' house. His parents are in his apartment. But me and Igor, we sat down there, and he doesn't want to join the army, but he's now producing munitions and everything. It's a sad study, really. And he didn't seem to be, you know, too smart of a man, but 
I can't blame him for anything that he's been through. I cannot honestly speak any bad words about him, because, you know, I'm doing this intelligent work and he's just working the steel mill. Fuck that noise. I'm here because of people like him. I'm here because people like him stand and die every day. I want to bring honor to his study. I want to bring something special to you guys. And his study is one of pain, one he has accepted and internalized, one that has not just turned to another newspaper study. He's happy for what he has, and it might seem like silly to the rest of the world, but to him, those $400 per month means that he can actually feed his mom and dad, and that's a disabled person only has one leg, and his little sisters. He can do that. And he's super thankful and happy, and hopes that one day Ukraine might actually become a better country, and people might live better. Think about that. We've been given so much, and only if you go to such places where you are in the danger and when people are just happy to visit your own like shitty hometown then you understand what kind of matters and what what truly means something therefore Igor holds a special place in kind of my heart because I felt like a coward next to him that dude has been through war and he's an ethnic Russian but he speaks in Ukrainian too and he says that well the Russians who invaded him with Donbass he does not believe in the civil war neither do I by the way he believes that he must defend his home, but first he must take care of his family. He wants to volunteer in the army at some point. When we spoke about this and when Igor said this, well, this is where Oleksandr's story comes into this, because Oleksandr is a sergeant now, but he volunteered to the army. Oleksandr's story is somehow even more tragic than Igor's. Well, I'm here to tell you that story, so... After the break, you're going to hear that too, but uh, like I said, this is not going to be a fun episode. Hey guys, Annette here. Glad to have you with us for this special episode from Ukraine. We work to bring you the most important and real stories, and we would not be able to do so without the loyal support from our Patreons. This is a critical time when we are really using all of the money from our supporters to get access into a war zone, which can get dangerous and expensive. So if you would like to contribute and help us create even more in-depth stories, please head over to patreon.com the eastern border to find out how you too can support our show additionally as always follow us on social media like facebook and twitter to stay up to date with everything eastern border and make sure you don't miss any important information we appreciate your support now more than ever that's it from me now see you online this podcast brought to you by russianvoiceovers.eu enjoy 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So uh, now I come to you with the story of Alexander, and uh, it's a kind of a sad one. But what can I do? Nothing really. I sat down there in the basement with the tea in my hands and my underpants fully loaded with my own fucking poop. And there was Igor, which I talked about in the last part, and there was Alexander, who joined the army as a volunteer. And he came there because his best friend had just been shot by a rocket. You know, he was in a store. He apparently was just, you know, out there because his buddy was a taxi driver. And Alexander was out there in a store where his buddy had taken him. He was out there getting beers for all of them for a nice little party. And when he was away, a rocket struck the taxi thing. So Alexander just blatantly, matter-of-factly, very nonchalantly recalled how he had basically gathered the limbs together of his buddy Ivan and uh, gathered the brains together in the wine nice little puddles so that his buddy could be put in the single grave. No, no open casket funeral there. Nothing of the sort. Just blatantly, stupidly, bloody mess. He was there, he carried the things together and understood that he had joined because the war had taken had taken his best friend away. What courage, if you think about it. I'm just sitting there, and I'm being there in the same room as these people, and they just tell me the story about, hey, yeah, you know, I joined the Ukrainian military because my buddy, my buddy was just ripped apart by a rocket. I'm not sure, like, I can't, I don't have any documental evidence on this thing, but someone to just lie to me about this? No, very unlikely. Very, very unlikely. Alexander... Like many war veterans, we spent, um, after that, we also spent uh, our time back when we were, like, going back from Mariupol to Kiev. He was there with other war veterans, and they all were, like, damaged people. You know, when you go back on the plot cart, then just people just stop, and they offer you to buy things, and these guys just bought vodka as much as they could, and they drank it all on the train. I can't blame them. This is a heavy story. Alexander's parents are apparently in Kiev, but... He joined the army. He was there, drinking tea with me over there, because, like I said, his best buddy was just blown to bits by a rocket. A stray rocket, nonetheless, because, as according to him, the guys from the other side, which I went to, by the way, the guys from the other side just keep shooting every day. They shoot because they have to. They shoot so that they could, like, print in their own price. They're fighting against these Bolsheviks. They're fighting against these fascists. In Donetsk, by the way, where I went to, I was taken to this anti-fascist liberation museum, but after these studies, taking that seriously, that was a bit hard for me. I mean, how do you take seriously a power that kills its own people? How do you take seriously something that truly damages people's lives? War is not a joke. Nothing's a joke. It's kind of like, there was a story in Dan Carlin's, one of the episodes about World War One when he said about this polar expedition, which just came back in 1916 and asked, well, how did the war go? Well, the response still holds true for today. The Europe is mad. The world is mad. Nothing goes as planned. War is the most basic human tragedy, and I do not even know why we fight it. 
because of some ideals that we hold dear, because of something that matters to us, because of uh, some fancy facts also that some asshole can fucking steal more money from you. What is the point? These people don't even hold any hatreds towards the other side. They know that from the other side, the god missiles that keep coming, which also track my positions, they come just because someone over there needs to shoot them out. Because they have to, you know, they have to pay some dues and they have to basically launder money. They have to shoot somewhere so that something gets shot, so that the propaganda materials can then speak about, hey, we shot the filthy fascists. Because you Canadians, according to them, are fascists. It leads to deaths, deaths of people. It leads to people's lives being broken. It leads to the stories of Alexander and Igor and and I'm changed, I think. I am I am I'm damaged, definitely. But Alexander with his buddy, I mean, I didn't expect that he would just be so blatant and open about this that such matter of fact stating that yeah, your best friend has just been blown apart into little pieces. How does that feel? How would you feel about your best friend just, you know, being out there? You having to pick him up, to put him in a fucking grave. Then after that you discover that, holy shit, you probably have to join the guys opposing this side. And one side with their own intendered fucking teachers and school teachers and fucking substitute teachers shoots the other one. War is meaningless. There is nothing to be gained in this. And I don't care that one side's better than the other, but they've been through a lot. However, I do have to say that I cannot approve of this. I cannot approve when people just throw themselves away, when, when people just go and die for nothing. At the same time, I had a conversation, I made an interview too, and with people just outside of Kiev, with people whom just, you know, I visited just before I got the interview with like some war veterans, but Mariupol feels like Soviet Union, and uh, even there, like Kiev, outskirts of Kiev, Mariupol, there are people who voted against Poroshenko because they felt like he could enrich himself in this war too. And the war is going on. It's war for our fucking freedoms as well. If you have like corrupt politicians stealing money for themselves, robbing the country, and enriching themselves when people die out there instead of trying to organize some sort of a peace deal, sure, I can understand the nationalist side as well, easily because they have lost something that they can never regain. However, I can truly understand why Poroshenko was not re-elected. Because if you go out in times such as this one, when you speak to people like Igor and uh, Alexander, if you speak to such people and all you have to offer is the fact that your own private welfare has increased by 80%. 80. You owe something to these people and I do not know how. The government can like stare them in the eyes and talk about how they're good and how they're pro-European. They're not. They're corrupt as everyone. The problem is that the other side's worse. What do you choose for? Whom do you stand for? You stand for your own family, your own fucking values. That's all you have. That's what they stand for. In a way, they also understand the responsibility towards all of us, in Western Europe that is. If you think about it then, well if they fall, the motherfuck that we have left for us. These are the people who stand and die there every day because of some asshole wanting to launder his money, wanting to be the big fucking goddamn hero, wanting to fucking continue all this shit. Ukrainians shooting other Ukrainians with Russian fucking money behind one of the sides, another side trying to be fucking big damn heroes even though they're corrupt as the whole of them. Because why wouldn't you? 
when your country is a massive fucking crisis, you still try to fucking get something for yourself. Despise that shit. That's a non-manly action, and may my Ukrainian listeners forgive me, but uh, yeah, the the people who support Poroshenko blame media for his disaster. However, I do not believe that if there wouldn't be any truth behind these statements that other common people state that, you know, 73% wouldn't vote for Zelensky. You know, behind whom other oligarchs stand for. Behind whom there are other multiple financial investments and resources. It is not as simple as it seems. However, you must remember that currently in Ukraine, these people are those who defend their Western values. Like I said in the previous episode, they want to be Europe, but they're not quite there yet. We should help them as much as we can. Because of Igor, who feeds his family. Because of Alexander, who literally had to pick up his best friend from like a pile of nothingness and he was dead and he said he didn't even cry because he had no tears left because at that moment his adrenaline just overcrashed him. And I went there, yeah, spent a lot of money on bribes too, who cares? Well, that story is what matters. I am just a bit of a coward who just went there to a dangerous place. I'm gonna go there otherwise too, but I just want you all to understand that there's something bigger at stake here. And it's not just a, you know, Ukraine versus Russia thing, no, no, no. It's Ukraine versus tyrannical regime. Someone who definitely wants to engulf on their freedoms. And if real war starts out here in the Baltics too, if you think about it, then the uh, United States will not be the first ones to react, now it's going to be Ukraine. Why? Because they have experience and tools and everything necessary to combat these threats. The sacrifice of people like Igor and Alexander is what keeps my country today alive. And you might be safe that in the United States of America, for a while at least, but the sacrifice of the people that truly bring all of this and who have been jaded and been cynical to, yeah, they shared their tea with me in that house in the basement. They shared their tea with me and they were there and they supported me. I respect them with all that I can. So don't think that this is a civil war going on there. It's more of a corrupt people shooting corrupt people and one side being financed by fucking Putin. That's what's happening there. Real people are suffering. Real people are being damaged. There is nothing fun about it. There is no glory in war. No meaning to it either. You can just pull through it. You do the what's best for you and your family. It's all that you can do. This is what I disapprove most of anything. People should be able to choose their own faiths and destinies. And this is a generation from whom this has been taken away from. Kind of sad and scary. And I'll get into more details next episode about Donbass, but... Igor and Alexander, there. I hope they're alive and well today. I'm not sure if they are. Wish them all the best. Tried as much as I can to make sure that those couple of hours in the basement when I was getting shot at, which I suffer every day, were nice to them. They call me a rich westerner and never felt that way. But if you think about it, maybe I am. At least, my country is not under a threat. My country is not under attack. I do not have a goal to sacrifice myself to. Do not need to. They do, however. There are people, real people, with real lives and real stories who lay their heads down on the line every day as you live your own comfy existence. Just think about it. Don't let that go. Because these guys, they truly do need some attention here. And I hope that I've brought them justice with this episode. I'll be done now. Next time's gonna be about my Donetsk stuff, but uh, don't enjoy this episode. Think about it. Das Vidanya, Tavarish. Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border, 
If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The Dark Myths Void. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.